MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 133 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. We've got lots to cover today, including actually imminent indictments in Fulton County. The judge in the Manhattan District Attorney's case against Trump ordering all of his E. Jean Carroll depositions to be handed over to prosecutors <laughs> and two U.S. Navy service members caught transmitting military intel to China. This really, as a former member of the United States Navy, it <laughs> makes my blood boil. Uh, we also have some updates in the E. Jean Carroll case. We have an order from the judge in the Ruby Freeman Shea Moss Rudy Giuliani matter telling him he needs to clarify his admissions that he lied and that Rudy has listed his Manhattan apartment for sale. Maybe he's broke Shame. after all. There's not there's not enough bleach <laughs> in the world to clean that such that I would be comfortable living there. Yeah, I would need to install a Gattaca shower or something. <laughs> um, we have more House Republican idiocy. And Charles McGonigal is in talks to plead guilty. Uh, but first, we need to thank some new patrons. You make this show happen, and we have 41 new patrons. I'm not going to read them all here in this first go. But let's get to this early list here. Denise LaFond, Ava Jordan, uh, Anne-Marie Hammock, Karen Bonner, Robert Zayner, Kyle Stewart McJunkin, uh, Elon Dedangerous, say molybdenum, mm -hmm. which I believe is, uh, Pete, you, you pointed out before we started recording that that's the number 42 on yes, the elements chart. Indeed it is. Which is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So yeah. molybdenum. Uh, BB56 and Hertzy Hertz. So thank you again so much. If you want to sign up and become a patron, get these episodes ad-free, feel good about supporting some awesomeness, and you can hear the uh, very blue version of our bonus episodes on the weekends, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. All right, let's start down in Georgia, because pretty soon, the bulk of this podcast is going to be covering the indictments and prosecution of Republican interference in the 2020 election in Fulton County. Based on information Given over the past year by D.A. Fonnie Willis, we had predicted indictments, well, I, I thought they would be voted on sometime between August 7th and August 21st, because she started working remotely in the last week of July, then the court was on a brief recess the first week, and then she said it would be sometime before September 1st. Now, there are three people with standby subpoenas still outstanding. Standby. Their subpoenas basically ordered them to be available to testify to the, one of the two Fulton County grand juries between August 8th and August 21st, 
with a 48-hour notice to appear. So those witnesses are in communication with the press and will know about 48 hours ahead of a possible vote for indictments once that third two-day notice goes out. Once that last person completes their testimony, I think it's likely the grand jury will vote on indictments. So that's a good way to sort of game out when they might happen. We don't know if they'll be filed under seal and announced later. Um, I think that what with Jack Smith, what he learned was in the first indictment for the documents where he filed it under seal and then wanted to announce it later, Trump just blurted it out on his truth social and he had to call a quick press conference. So in the second indictment in D.C., Jack Smith said, all right, we filed for permission to announce the indictment as it was being filed. And so I think Fonnie Willis might follow that uh, structure to not leave a kind of a vacuum of a day or two to throw a bunch of disinformation in there. She might announce it as she contacts, you know, everyone who's in the indictment. Uh, she might release that or do a press conference. I imagine she'll do a press conference. We'll see. Um, this is kind of brand new for us. <laughs> yeah. You know, and your guess as to the day was pretty prescient. I think you're, A, you were right in the money in the on the sweet spot of when that's going to happen. I'd be surprised given that there are three different witnesses. Now, it could be that, you know, one of them or two of them might not need to appear, but the fact that all three that Fonnie Willis would decide after issuing them subpoenas that now I don't need their testimony, I think that's unlikely. So if I had to guess, and, uh, you know, this is all guesswork, obviously, I would think next week. But, you know, another, Alice, another thing to remember, too, is like it is almost certain that this is not going to be a one-person indictment like D.C. was with Trump or a, you know, two-person uh, indictment like it was down in Florida with Wontnada and Trump. We're looking potentially at a lot of folks. And so that means that a number of likely criminal defendants are going to have to have their attorneys reached out to, have to make and coordinate presentation for their booking and initial appearance. And so that's, again, it's not a function of you know, Trump's will be the most logistically complex. And, you know, for for patrons, I pointed out on the, you know, bonus episode that Allison, you're never going to let me do a, a, alone again. But one of the infuriating <laughs> things is each and every single one of these damn appearances, Trump getting to and from is being subsidized at the hands of the, at the wallet of the taxpayer, because every secret service detail, every, you know, sheriff, every local law enforcement person that has to block off a road or drive part of his motorcade to get him to these places is being paid for by the taxpayers, by us. So, you know, this is not just Trump won't be the most complex, but we're looking, you know, potentially at, you know, many, 10 more potential other defendants that are going to have to roll through the Fulton County Courthouse to present themselves. So a lot of high drama. It will be, I am certain, you know, all the coverage we've seen to date will be on overload with everybody trying to get a glimpse of, you know, God knows who, potentially Rudy, any number of Georgia state officials, you know, I, I, I Yeah, the Coffee County, three people. We've got Schaefer, yeah. um, two of the other fraudulent electors. We've got Eastman, Clark, that Cheesebro, that whole group. We've got um, potentially even, you know, Jenna Ellis. I don't, you know, unless she's uh, cooperating. I'm not sure. Uh, the That jury four-person said at least a dozen, but that was before those immunity deals were presented to eight of the fraudulent electors. Uh, my guess, I, I've got my money on 17. That's where, that's where my yeah, money I'd, I'd is. Take, so. that's a, I'd probably take the under on that bet, but that's an easy going above or below a number is easier bet than actually picking a number. If I had to pick, I mean, out of the blue, I'd say, well, who knows, 13 to 14, I'd guess. But that, again, that's wild ass speculation. Yeah. But, uh, and my 17 number was also before those immunity deals were handed out. I fair. was including all of the... Yep. 
folks. All right. So um, the three people set to testify, one of them is George Sheedy or Cheedy. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. And I apologize to you, George, if I am butchering it. He's a columnist for Decaturish.com, former staff writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, former city councilman for Pine Lake City, uh, and he also contributes to Fox 5 Atlanta. On December 14th, 2020, he was in the Capitol in Georgia, where the Biden electors were meeting. Uh, Fraudulent Republican electors were meeting on the second floor, and he barged in with his phone in his hand, live streaming on Facebook, saying, what are you guys doing here? He (laughs) said, (laughs) nothing, what are you doing? (laughs) They said, uh, we're having an education meeting. Uh, And to me, that lie is evidence of consciousness of guilt right there, or at least acting under orders to maintain complete secrecy. And we've seen emails to that effect. So that's him. He's he's one of those be available for, you know, these two week, this two week period. And we'll give you a 48 hour heads up. And we also have former Georgia Democratic State Senator Jen Jordan, and she is on a 48 hour notice to appear as well. She witnessed the election presentation, which is a very nice way of saying bullshit fake meeting that Rudy Giuliani and other Trump allies made before Georgia state lawmakers on December 3rd, 2020. And the third is B. Nguyen, another former state representative who challenged Brad Raffensperger in the race for secretary of state, but lost. And also she can, she confirmed she's received a subpoena. Uh, I dug and I dug and I, I can't put my finger on uh, what B. Nguyen was involved in, but I assume also that committee meeting uh, that Rudy Giuliani was at. So Rudy Giuliani is a pretty big target. The The street now in front of the courthouse is closed. It's shut down. They have big water-filled orange barriers. Nice choice on orange mm-hmm. there. Uh, they were put up over the weekend. Uh, the DA staff, as I said, is working remotely. The court has cleared its schedule. Uh, though the tremendous protests, the likes of which have never been seen, uh, have not been seen. <laughs> so uh, even a D.C. indictment only produced a couple dozen Trump supporters. Uh, And again, I I would like to in part credit the Department of Justice for uh, their prosecution and convictions and uh, jailing of uh, January 6th rioters. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to show up and get caught up in a mob again and, and end up in prison. Yeah, no doubt that has provided a deterrent effect, I think, for some of the potential protests. But I do think, too, you know, we don't know what the threat stream is that Fonnie Willis is facing and what local law enforcement down in Atlanta know about or have have received. And I think certainly when you look, Atlanta is a very blue city, just like D.C. is, just like New York City is. But the surrounding community... Certainly around Atlanta, it gets really, really red really, really quick. So I think, you know, to the extent that you say, well, you know, what's the natural, you know, a couple of knuckleheads from Long Island maybe show up and, you know, do a little shouting in New York City or, you know, from, from D.C., you've certainly got an immediate population all around D.C. that is is certainly not deep red. But that's not the case in Georgia. And I think, you know, you move outside of Fulton mm-hmm. County and even within Fulton County, the potential for people who are more inclined to uh, protest is real. And again, protest, nothing wrong with protest. Nothing that's, you know, baked into the American experience. It's part of who we are in the fabric of our culture. It's the potential for violence that I think folks are worried about. And again, I, I would just say, you know, looking at this from a, a, a sort of threat risk management perspective, the ability of people who might be inclined towards violence uh, the volume of folks like that, given the political demographics of Georgia and the area surrounding Fulton County, the size of the population that to be worried about, I think is is pretty significant. So I hope you're right. I hope folks are not going to turn out. But again, it's not, 
I, I, I have no expectation there's going to be, you know, 100,000 people descending on the courthouse, but you don't need that. You, you need a couple of morons with semi-automatic weapons who aren't mm, well mentally. I was mentally. just going to say, it's it's these one-off and two-off, and the gun laws in uh, Georgia aren't as strict as they are in D.C., New York, for example. Right, right. So it only takes one with a semi-automatic weapon, so... It's And, you know, the other part of the deterrent is going to be the fact that, like you said, every single police officer, FBI agent, every single law enforcement employee in the area is going to be there. So that is also probably going to act as a pretty strong deterrent. I think they'll be able to respond rapidly uh, if there are any incidents and uh, yeah. hopefully. And, and you have to set it up that way. You absolutely right. have to. Yeah. And again, it's not everybody's worried about Trump. Rightfully, I mean, that is the biggest concern, but this is not one day, you know, where he flies in and gets his motorcade from the airport to uh, to the courthouse and back. You're going to have a parade of defendants. And so, again, does, you know, somebody, does Rudy Giuliani enjoy the same base of support that Donald Trump does? Absolutely not. But does, you know, just by definition, somebody who is going to be inclined to take up in, in arms and engage in violence quite possibly has something mentally wrong with them. Are they going to differentiate between saying, oh, I'm only going to go for Donald Trump or I'm going to go for some, you know, and, and do my whatever I plan to do? It's going to be an extended period of time, days and days and days of people presenting themselves at the courthouse. So this is not a one-off afternoon where we're all glued to our television. This is going to be an extended event. And again, from a law enforcement perspective, you you can't just say, we're only worried while Trump is going to show up. You've got to be worried throughout right. this time. And then certainly, this is just for the initial appearance. I mean, God knows what this is going to look like when we move to trial. you know. And that's just going to be uh, and how the courts manage that, how they're going to get all these defendants in, try them together, separate them out. It's just going to be a show. And again- mm-hmm. From a physical security perspective, something that law enforcement is going to have to take very seriously for the entire pendency of that process. Yeah, and we and we don't know. We've had uh, different reports, both uh, from Hugo Lowell, who's been uh, on this pretty well for you know for for the Guardian, that you know we knew she's considering RICO uh, and also individual statutes. Um, so it could be uh, both that we see in these indictments. Again, it'll, just like we were wondering how. Jack Smith was going to apply Title 18 U.S. Code 241, uh, conspiracy against rights, how he was going to apply that to what happened with the attempted coup. And now we have the we have that answer by depriving us of our right to vote and have our vote counted. I'm interested to see how she applies RICO and perhaps individual statutes in uh, into what happened down in Georgia. Now, I mean, we know that I mean, the, the Coffee County voting machine thing is pretty obvious with those charges, but it'll be interesting to see how she games out the rest of it. Yeah. And I'm really, really interested. You mentioned Coffee County. I'm really interested to see what she has to say in the charging documents, because it's been very clear. If you look at what's going on in Michigan uh, with the fake electors and the state charges, you know, certainly that is something that we're well aware of now because of the federal Trump indictment for the January 6th activity that Jack Smith is looking at some of the fake elector activity. What I haven't seen indications of at the federal level is, all of the stuff that was going around uh, on around the election infrastructure, clearly that was going on in Coffee County. But if you look at it, there were shenanigans going on up in Michigan with, you know, some some of the auditing. There was stuff going on out at Colorado. There are a lot of election infrastructure activity that certainly 
has the same actors that are appearing across the board in different states. And yet I haven't seen a lot of indication. You know how we kind of got like little, you'd get little news coverage here and there about people receiving subpoenas, you know, Arizona Republican state officials receiving a subpoena for a bunch of information about their contacts in the context of the fake elector slates. We haven't seen that sort of reporting about all of this election infrastructure shenanigans. And I'm really curious what, if anything, the federal government is doing, because it seems to me there's a really strong federal crime potentially that's gone on. And certainly if Fonnie Willis lays out in Coffee County criminal alleged activity, and so now you have election infrastructure criminal activity in Georgia, election infrastructure criminal activity in Michigan, all of a sudden the question starts being, is Jack Smith looking at this? And if not, why not? So I, I again, mm -hmm. that's a really long way of saying I'm very interested to see how Coffee County plays in these charges. Same. And and there was a, a buried lead in a Washington Post article today down in paragraph nine or something like that, uh, that a brand new round of subpoenas has gone out in the fraudulent elector scheme from Jack Smith's office. This is, I think, the third or fourth round so that probably says to me that these are people that are going to testify before a grand jury is going to vote on an indictment, perhaps on the co-conspirators. That's kind of what I think there. But um, yeah, that infrastructure stuff, is that one of the things where the feds were like, let's let the states do the infrastructure stuff and we'll do the top of the coup stuff and, you know, that the conspiracy at the top type of a thing. But who knows? Uh, because Fonnie Willis has said she's had no contact with Jack Smith. Dana Nessel has, but I'm assuming it's limited. So, yeah, I'm interested to see that, too. All right. We have a lot more news to get to as soon as we come back from the break. We've got a series of really nice schadenfreude-y court losses for the likes of Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. But we have to take a quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat 
with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Welcome back. More patrons to thank. Kristen Root, Max Nauda, not sure if there's any relation to Walt or not, Nancy Palowski, Catherine Roche, Brandon Smith, Dorothy, David Newnham, Carol F., Renee Denise Fisher, and Katie Marie Bruce. Thank all of you so much for your support. Couldn't do this without you and really, really appreciate uh, you being patrons. So, Without further ado, let's move up to New York first. Uh, Lots of losses in court for both Trump and Rudy. (laughs) So let's walk through these. So federal judge Lewis Kaplan has ordered that the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg will be able to get Trump's full video deposition from the E. Jean Carroll case, along with transcripts and related exhibits. Bragg had subpoenaed the deposition materials in late June, noting, quote, a number of the subject matters about which defendant testified under oath relate to facts at issue in this case and are therefore relevant and material to this proceeding. And on July 7th, Justice Juan Merchant stated that the Manhattan DA subpoena was not, this is his quote, was not overbroad or otherwise inappropriate, but he did request some further clarification from Judge Kaplan. So mm. it looks like, you know, again, this is this is a criminal matter that uh, Alvin Bragg's going to be able to to use these and I'm curious, you know, again, we haven't we haven't seen it and uh you know, the judge was satisfied that it was not an inappropriate or overbroad request. So we'll see. We'll see how uh, Bragg is able to use it. Yeah. One of the perils of being a defendant in multiple civil and criminal cases is that all that evidence can be used by the others. Uh, so and what I'm still missing is an IRS or federal investigation into tax fraud by the Trump organization. They have to have all of her stuff from the New York attorney general, all those depositions all of the stuff from the Trump Organization investigation, the Manhattan DA's office. So I, I am still like either they're super tight lipped about that and we mm. just don't know and there's too much going mm. on for all of us to pay attention uh. or they aren't looking at it. And that would drive me bonkers. Yeah, I, I'm sure Jim Jordan and James Comer will dig up some 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 whistleblowers if they drop the ball on it. Some whistleblowers <laughs> eagerly running to Congress to tell the story about how this Amazing. Can't the Dems in, in the Senate do that? Well, where's our whistleblowers about? <laughs> where, where don't, again, and let's, uh, don't get me started on the, you know. <laughs> we'll save it for the bonus. God knows what oversight is going on there, but we'll, we'll see if they get anywhere with uh, the Supreme Court. I, that would be a win if just a little bit of movement there. But anyway, but but E. Jean Carroll, a couple of huge developments. First, uh, she and her attorneys filed a motion for summary judgment. Now, look, summary judgment is rare, particularly in defamation cases. Dominion filed one, and you know, as you remember, in their Fox News suit, and they won it in part. They didn't have to prove falsity, but again, that was extraordinarily rare. And when you look at the things that came out that Dominion had developed in discovery, that was so overwhelming. That it was, uh, you know, really compelling, and I think explains how they got, you know, that that partial ruling for summary judgment. I we'll see what happens. I mean, look, judges want summary judgment is something that, you know, unless it is absolutely overwhelming, I think a lot of judges, even if they believe it should be granted, they will sometimes think, well, look, you know, it's better if we have a jury decide this. It certainly makes, uh, you know, it mo- removes uh, sort of avenues for appellate 
review and or you know any sort of uh, post post fact appeal. So I would not be surprised if uh, this is either not granted or granted in part. Again, doesn't mean that it isn't a complete BS case, uh, which you know I think it is. But we'll we'll see what happens. Now she also filed a motion to dismiss Trump's counterclaim, where Trump is saying that E. Jean Carroll defamed him, saying that. You know, that she defamed me when she said that he raped her after the jury found that he did not and that that that's uh, therefore defamation. Now, earlier, the judge had explained that specifically, you know, and again, for for, you know, if you got kids around or or otherwise uh, sensitive, you know, turn this down for a little bit. But the judge explained that forcibly digitally penetrating someone is commonly referred to as rape, even though that's not the legal definition. In fact, today, the judge again granted her motion to dismiss Trump's counterclaim. And I want to read a little bit because, again, yet the second time now, judicial notice was taken that Trump is, as defined by this judge, a rapist. And so I want to read just a little bit that if Ms. Carroll had stated that Mr. Trump, quote unquote, raped her by forcibly digitally penetrating her vagina instead of referring also allegedly to forcible penile penetration, there would have been no different effect on the mind of an average listener. Indeed, both acts constitute rape in common modern parlance, its definition in some dictionaries, in some federal and state criminal statutes, and elsewhere. Given that the anatomical difference between the alleged falsehood and the truth is a, quote, fine and shaded distinction that must be drawn in order to, quote, sustain a charge of libel, based on Ms. Carroll's interview statements, quote, no legal harm has been done. So, again, you know, Trump and, you know, who who's Trump's fine attorney on this action? None other than Alina goddamn parking lot Haba and her partner in crime, Michael Madayo. Apparently the million dollars in sanctions, nearly million dollars in sanctions down out of Florida wasn't enough. She's continuing her legal excellence by having her weak shit thrown out of court. Yeah, yeah. Now, hey, get this. We're going to go over here to, to Rudy, right? Okay, so we're moving on from E. Jean. We're moving, now we're going to talk about the Ruby Freeman Shamos defamation case against Rudy Giuliani. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are the two Georgia election workers uh, that were in that State Farm Arena video where Rudy said they were bringing in suitcases of ballots and uh, passing around USB ports like vials of cocaine and heroin or whatever. Um, just absolutely terrible. And, you know, Rudy said, uh, I, I can't do discovery. I don't have any money. And the judge was like, prove you don't have any money. So he filed a thing saying, I'm broke. I only have a couple of turntables and a microphone, like Beck, because I'm a loser baby. And then the judge was like, uh, okay. But then all of a sudden, uh, there was a Trump PAC payment to to Trustpoint, which is the uh, the company that does discovery for Rudy. And it was for the amount of that Rudy was being charged for discovery, $340,000, oddly. Then Rudy said, oh, I've been cured. My thing has been cured. We're all good to go. But then he filed a list of admissions. He filed this thing. It said, I lied, basically, but he put all these weird little kind of legalese sort of soft language, a kind of a lot like the attestation that Christina Bob signed saying that all the stuff was handed over uh, in the documents case, sort of like, oh, to the best of my knowledge, uh, that kind of weird, like mealy mouthed language. And that was the last thing we had updated you on. Well, now uh, there's a new minute order on the docket in the case, and it reads as follows. Giuliani stipulations submitted in response to plaintiff's motion for discovery sanctions against Rudy for failure to preserve evidence 
which unsworn stipulation signed by Giuliani contests no part of the plaintiff's motion, but rather purports to set out concessions sufficient to avoid further discovery demands. And at the risk of concomitant, I guess, if that means naturally associated sanctions for failure to comply with discovery obligations under federal rules of civil procedure, but simultaneously contains multiple caveats and limitations undercutting that purpose. Goes on to say, given the seemingly incongruous and certainly puzzling caveats, plaintiff's counsel recounts efforts to obtain clarification. Accordingly, Rudy Giuliani is directed by August 8th at 4 p.m. to submit clarification. So basically, your mealy-mouthed, unsworn admission sucks. Try harder. You have until August 8th. <laughs> so that's be, like that's what's going down right now. He, he, he would have rather admitted to lying and defaming Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman than to hand over what he's got to hand over. Because it's that bad. And in a funny related story, uh, we just learned breaking news. We record this on Monday. Bernie Carrick just emerged from a five-hour meeting with the special counsel Jack Smith's prosecutors. And that meeting was about Rudy stuff. Uh, so fun. Uh, fun times for Rudy. And uh, and it might explain why he just listed his Manhattan apartment for sale for $6.35 million. Uh, maybe he needs the money to settle with Noelle Dunphy. That's mm. the woman mm. who, quote unquote, worked for him. Uh, she's seeking $10 million in damages, so his apartment won't quite cover it. But maybe he's working on a settlement there. He also owes his ex-wife two hundred grand in alimony. And he's also co-conspirator one in the Jack Smith case. And he's probably going to be indicted in Georgia. Dude is going to need some money. So <laughs> I think that's why he's listing his apartment for sale. Yeah. And he's not. I mean, this is going, his legal bills are going, they're already, I'm certain, huge. They're going to continue to uh, increase. I don't know at what point Trump is going to be able to continue paying the just the hemorrhaging of attorney hours that are getting created. I mean, when you start looking at Georgia, certainly if and when Jack Smith comes down with a superseding indictment for any combination of co-conspirator one through six and or others yet unnamed, at some point, you know, it's like, you know, a million here, a million there, all of a sudden we're talking real money sort of thing. I mean, these start adding up very fast. And it's one thing if you're like, sort of like, uh, we need to prep a witness in a civil case. I mean, that that's can be steep with a high level firm. But when you're talking, you know, criminal defense work for defendants, that gets expensive fast. Yeah, just and his just... discovery in the one case alone was three hundred and forty grand. And and that and, and the Trump pack is is got is running out of cash. They only got like four mil on hand. They had to claw back sixty million from another pack. So um yeah. The money that it's circling the drain pretty hard on all of these all these guys. Uh, and I'm not sure. Does any maybe does it does any do any of the co-conspirators like have a mega yacht they can sell? Maybe <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, well, that's only only friends of Clarence Thomas get to uh, get to do that. So we'll. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> Harlan Crow jumps in and starts donating <laughs> a shitload of money to the Trump pack for his legal bills. <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, all right, we have uh, a lot more news. Uh, next up, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about Charles McGonagall and a potential. A guilty plea. And then we have something from the National Security Division at the Department of Justice. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I 
step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We have more patrons to thank, and we cannot thank you enough. Logan Brashear, Laura Klusener, Seymour Butts, nice, Coffee, Barbara Albert, Goligi, I guess, am I Goligi? Am I pronouncing that right? Mama Corey, Alan Bear, Johnny, and Clary Beauferry. Thank you again so much for signing up to be a patron. All right, next up from Kara Scannell at CNN, who's, who's doing a really awesome job with these scoops. Former head of counterintelligence, the FBI uh, and New York field office, Charles McGonigal. We've talked about him, Pete. In fact, I remember reaching out to you really early on when a friend of ours found a business filing with his name and uh, Deripaska's name on it. And I said, do you know this guy? Who, this, who? What the hell is this guy? What's he doing working with Deripaska? You're like, Jesus, I, what the hell? And we were both kind of like scratching our heads and then bam, dude gets indicted. He was w- working with uh, Deripaska after he left the government. Uh, he was indicted, as I said earlier this year, on charges including violating sanctions, conspiracy, money laundering. The same day, McGonagall was charged in a separate case in D.C., for concealing $225,000 he allegedly received from a former Albanian intelligence employee. And regarding the Albania case, last week at a court hearing in D.C., McGonagall's attorney, Seth Ducharme, told the judge that there was a, quote, decent chance this case is going to be resolved without having to go to trial and that they should know for certain just after Labor Day. So it looks like he's in talks there, too. So that's what's going on with uh, Mr. Chuck. Yeah, and, you know, certainly a sad amongst other things, a set of events. I, I, I've got to think that he would be, that he and his attorney would be looking for sort of a universal resolution. In other words, that it isn't pleading guilty in one of the two jurisdictions and not in the other, that they'd seek to find some sort of resolution to you know plead out both in, in New York and DC and and get all this behind it. But we'll see. I, you know, all indication is that they're, they're moving towards that and we should know shortly. And then 
you know, maybe once all, after all this is, you know, kind of said and done and put to bed, we can talk about it a little bit more, but just, uh, you know, difficult, difficult thing, certainly for, for me and many others who know Charlie. Um, and then staying while we're on DOJ from the national security division in two separate cases in the Southern and central districts of California, two U S Navy service members were arrested for transmitting sensitive military information to the PRC. Uh, one Navy sailor, Jin Chao Wei, a.k.a. Patrick Wei, was arrested this week on espionage charges. He was an active duty sailor on the amphibious assault ship, the USS Essex, stationed at Naval Base San Diego. In his role as a machinist mate, Wei hold, held a U.S. security clearance and had access to sensitive national defense information about the ship's weapons, propulsion, and desalination systems. I was a machinist mate. This really, this really, this story really bums me out, man. Yeah, it does. And you know, what's really interesting, and I mean, like, it, it, it's, I, I'm glad to see DOJ moving to this. What's really interesting is he's charged with espionage. So he's charged with 794, which is the the hardest hitting espionage statute reserved for people who transmit, you know, or attempt to transmit or conspire to transmit national defense information to a foreign power. Yet, in his indictment, there's no classified information that's charged. They charge uh, what's, you know, controlled unclassified information, for, you know, for official use only information. But typically, the past position of DOJ has typically been, if you don't have classified information, the statute doesn't say it has to be classified information. The statute refers to national defense information. But DOJ has usually taken that to mean not only classified information, but information at the secret level or higher. Like they wouldn't even entertain, like I can't tell you cases would bring to them that had confidential information and DOJ wouldn't want to touch it. But in this case, no classified information alleged, but nevertheless, just because of the nature of the information he was providing, clearly relates to the national defense. I can't tell you this <laughs> argument after argument after argument that we would have in the FBI with DOJ saying, the statute doesn't say classified information. This is clearly information <laughs> relating to the national defense. I'm glad to see DOJ getting there. But again, you're right. It's sad. I mean, he, it's... it's well, the other thing is the amount of money that they took to do peanuts. this. It's peanuts. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no. So, and it started, right? No, it, he started, according to the uh, indictment in February of 2022, began communicating with an intelligence officer from the PRC. They don't specify whether it's MSS or PL, in other words, the, the Foreign Intelligence Service, the Military Intelligence Service, it doesn't specify. But the PRC intelligence officer requested Way provide information about the Essex and other Navy ships. Specifically, the Chinese intelligence officer tasked Wei with passing him photos, videos, and documents concerning the U.S. Navy ships and their systems. And in fact, Wei sent photographs and videos of the Essex. He disclosed the locations of various Navy ships and described defensive weapons of the Essex. In exchange for this information, you know, as you mentioned, Allison, the intelligence officer paid him thousands of dollars. That's it. I don't even know. I think some total, I don't know that it made it over $20,000. But over the entire course of the conspiracy, he sent the intelligence officer approximately 30 technical and mechanical manuals and an additional 26 technical and mechanical manuals related to the power structure and operation of the Essex and similar ships. And then finally, he sent a, allegedly sent a weapons control system manual for the Essex and other similar ships. So this was not a, a one-off thing. It was clear as alleged he was in touch with an intelligence officer. He was receiving tasking. He was responding to that tasking and getting paid for it. So these are, you know, clearly as you lay out, you know, again, the 794, the most serious, uh, you know, statute, espionage statute we have in the books. 
he was engaging in all of those things and did it, uh, you know, for quite some time. And then, you know, somebody at the same time, Petty Officer Wenheng Zhao, a.k.a. Thomas Zhao, a 26-year-old from Monterey Park, California, allegedly in exchange for bribes, sent a Chinese military officer, not clear if it's the same intelligence officer or not, non-public and controlled operational plans for a large-scale U.S. military exercise in the Indo-Pacific region. He also, similar to Wei, photographed electrical diagrams and blueprints for a radar system stationed on a U.S. military base in Okinawa, Japan. And over the span of his activity, the Chinese intelligence officer paid him approximately $14,866. So again, not a lot of money to folks who were absolutely, allegedly doing things that they, they should not have been doing at all. One of them, some reference about just not wanting to do anything that would create problems for becoming a U.S. citizen. One of them certainly had indication that part of the compensation was to fly him and his mother to China. So, you know, a lot of vulnerabilities here. The good news is, you know, both the FBI and NCIS uh, investigated this. Not sure when they became aware of it, sort of lining up with the time that they started this activity. But, you know, they, they stopped it before classified information was passed. But Again, the point is information can be plenty damaging. Information can be plenty valuable to the PRC, even if it's sensitive but unclassified, even if it's for official use only. I'm glad to see DOJ charging it. It's appropriate that they did. And again, I, like you as a, as a vet, nothing makes me angrier than seeing people engage in activity that puts servicemen and women at risk. For $14,000. Right. To put your national security at risk, to, to violate your oath, just to be a, a shitbag in general. Uh, a lot of people are asking how come these guys are in jail and Donald Trump is not. Donald Trump was not charged with transmitting classified information or national defense information. We know he did. <laughs> and the investigation is still ongoing. But you can't hold somebody in pretrial detention for stuff they're not charged with. So I just wanted to kind of make that clear. I know it sucks, but that is the right thing. And um, if only all criminal defendants were treated uh, as Donald Trump, uh, Currently, we don't have that here in our two systems of justice uh, country. But anyhow, we have a lot more news to get to about the amazing and wonderful Republicans in the House. Your your friend and mine, Comer and Jordan and that whole gang uh, and the uh, the apparent uh, bombshell testimony of, of one Devin Archer that uh, turned out once again to be absolutely nothing. We'll be back with that in just a second. Stick around. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. 
they were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, welcome back. We have a final batch of patrons to thank. We've got Alex B., J.M., Brian, John Kerber, Lori Kerber, Patrick Rowley, Elizabeth Steiner, K.T. Horning, Marsha Knorr, Kat A., and Anna Marie Noon. Again, thank all of you for your support. This is, uh, you know, fantastic. And both Allison and I appreciate it tremendously more than we can express. So thank each and every one of you. Happy to have you on board and uh, happy to share not only this podcast, but the the bonus. If this is the sophisticated glass of wine, think of the bonus episodes as that shot of bourbon uh, at, after closing time, uh, you know, somewhere in the parking lot. So thank all of you so back. much. Yeah. So, oh, we call that the B bar, right? Trunk whiskey. We. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys want to go to the B bar? Yeah, let's go to the B bar. Nice. All right. So, what do we got? Uh, what do we got with your uh, your favorite people in the world, Pete? So, from the Daily Beast, we've got reporting uh, that when Re- Representative James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, made the rounds on primetime conservative cable TV on Monday night, it was divulged details of what Republicans called a bombshell day for their investigations into the Biden crime family. Now, earlier that day, members of the House Oversight Committee had privately interviewed Devin Archer. Now, what Comer failed to mention was that he wasn't actually in the room for his committee's big interview with Archer. After all this, you know, debate and whether or not he'd be able to appear and whether or not DOJ was going to try and keep him from appearing. After all that run up, after all these appearances, Comer failed to show up in person on Capitol Hill. And he didn't even participate remotely. Didn't couldn't even be bothered to sit down in front of a, a laptop and turn on Zoom to to question this critical witness that in, undoubtedly was going to blow open the case of the Biden crime family. So <laughs> one of the Republicans on the committee said it was like following a general into battle, but the general decided to stay home instead. <laughs> general James Comer, everybody. That's yes, that's the leadership. That's the leadership you have. You you don't go into battle with the leadership you want. You go into battle with the leadership you have, which in this case is none. So from and Philip Bump over at the Washington Post expanding on this noted that on Thursday, the Oversight Committee released a transcript of Archer's testimony. And guess what? What Archer said not only doesn't comport with the presentations made by Comer and Jim Jordan on television, which were obviously BS from the beginning, 
His testimony actually undermines the idea that Burisma wanted Chokin fired, that Zelensky paid any bribe whatsoever, and crucially, that Joe Biden was involved in any of it. Just completely undermines it all. You know, it, it, and it, it's true. You know, Archer said, hey, look, it's true. In December 2015, Sachevsky and Burisma were under a lot of pressure, but it wasn't Shokin that was causing that pressure. He testified Shokin was an asset. Archer agreed the fact that, quote, Shokin did not pursue corruption investigations against Burisma's owner, effectively shielding the owner from prosecution. And, you know, it, it doesn't start there. He undercut Republican claims about Hunter Biden's interactions with the fa- his father. He said there was no bribe. The POTUS didn't discuss business. Hunter sold the illusion of access. Again, not, not Hunter's words, not anybody in the Biden crime family's words. This is Archer, the Republicans' key witness, saying Hunter sold the illusion mm-hmm. of access. So, again, it, it, it's all a sham. It's all BS. It is a nothing burger of Benghazi nothingness. It, there, there's just nothing there. Yeah, it was basically Hunter Biden saying, hey, you know— I'm a Biden. My dad's Joe Biden. Nudge, nudge. You know, that was it. Like, you know, my dad can beat up your dad's situation. And, and that that's where it ended. You know, and they tried to say, oh, Joe Biden was connected off of his. He talked to his son like 20 times. Uh, it's he's, it's his son. Um, OK. Anyway, I just. Mm, yeah, and it is. And that's the point. Right, Allison? That is the point. All of this is not about Joe Biden. All of this is not about the president of the United States. All of this in its entirety is Hunter Biden and everything, whether he was selling the illusion of access or not, whether he had tax violations or not, what he did or didn't do with substance abuse. None of that is about the president of the United States. And just this constant, nonstop, BS, vacuous, unsupported allegation after allegation at the end of the day, all are around Hunter. Yeah, well, Trump had to, in, in, in 2019, 2020, Trump had to beg and then extort Zelensky to get him to just open an investigation. He was like, you don't even have to do it. Just say you are, you know, which is a very, that's a common pattern for him. You know, hey, DOJ, you don't have to actually investigate voter fraud. Just say you will. And me and the Republicans in Congress will will take care of the rest. He went around begging people, extorting people to just announce an investigation into Biden. If Biden had done anything wrong, we would know about it. I 100% guarantee Durham would have uncovered it. Somebody would have uncovered it. Uh, David Weiss, after five years of looking at business transactions uh, with Hunter Biden, if there were any bad ones or illegal ones with his father, that would have been uncovered. These are Trump-appointed people. And even when Trump was in office, he couldn't get a single thing on POTUS. This is their only thing. And every little tiny part of their only bullshit investigation is just just falls apart under any tiny bit of scrutiny. Right. And if what you're worried about, like, let's, let's put our good governance hat on. If what you're worried about and the point you're trying to make is the trustability, the reliability, the vulnerability of President Biden or anybody who's in the presidency or running for the presidency, let's, okay, all right, that's fine. So let's look at the billions with a B that Former President Trump's son got from the government of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. Let's talk about Sniffy Jumpy Don Jr. and what makes that Sniffy Jumpies every time he seems to go on his podcast. Let's talk about the patents that Ivanka got allegedly from the PRC uh, shortly before during the time that her dad was in office. Let's go through time and time again. If you're concerned about the vulnerabilities that a potential president or somebody running for president might have through their children, great. Great. Let's look into that. 
let's look into that with vigor. Because I tell you what, there if, if you really want to do that honestly, the, the amount of things that exist out there which are ripe for investigation on Trump's side, I, I don't even know where to begin. But of course, not a single peep. You no, know, that's what about isn't we are, we're talking about Joe Biden, he's the president. No, 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 no. It is it is if your premise is there are potential vulnerabilities from a person's, you know, family, then let's look at people and their family. Yeah. And we don't even have to what about. There's nothing to this. There's nothing about. So we don't have to what about. But I would really be interested in uh, thorough investigations into the billions of dollars uh, from Saudi Arabia, what it was in exchange for. We know he was over there talking to his pal MBS uh, shortly after the Khashoggi murder. We know that there were several traitors to the crown, quote unquote, that were exiled and some were executed, potentially based on intelligence given to MBS from the U.S. by Jared Kushner. Like there was a, a, an arms deal with Pompeo that circumvented Congress uh, on an emergency uh, basis that shouldn't have happened. I know that there's uh, litigation on that. So, yeah, come on, let's talk about some quid pro quo with your kids if we're going to. Yeah. And, you know, and real estate deals in Oman. There was a New York Times article I was just looking at it just, mm-hmm. just last month, no, in June, into June, talking about how, you know, the, the Trump and the Trump name is being used to hike up the sale of luxury villas in Oman. So let's, yes, let's talk about all this. I suspect, I suspect very much like the federal uh, tax investigation up in New York, <laughs> uh, that, that we may not be satisfied with the, with the level of uh, attention and detail that this gets from those in a position to actually do something about it. But- no. Yeah. And the only thing I can hope is that somehow Jack Smith runs into something and hands it off to someone, um, kind of like, you know, what Mueller ended up doing with 14 other cases where, you know, he was he didn't have as broad a, a, a scope as, as Jack Smith has been allowed. But, you know, if he runs into something weird about Kushner payments with Saudi or those meetings with Apollo or City or paying off the 666 Fifth Avenue building or the arms or anything yep. runs across any document. Uh, he can refer that over, and uh, I think that that would have a that would have a pretty powerful impact on whoever it's referred to, because that will end up in Jack Smith's final report as a referral. So they would be on the hook for answering as to why they didn't act on that referral. So that's my biggest and best hope is that because that's one of the great things about a special counsel, all that shit goes in the report has to, uh, and we will learn about it. I mean, it, it could be redacted. We know mo- many of the Many of the cases that were handed off in Appendix D of the Mueller report were redacted at first. And then slowly over time, as there were decisions made, charging decisions made, those black bars came off. But it, it'd be in there. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, there's still stuff redacted, right? I mean, there's still stuff that, you know, even like my limited time on the team at the you know beginning, there's stuff that has not been revealed yet. So it may take time, but I think, yes, the good news is it goes in there and hopefully it gets some sort of appropriate action. But my worry is there is a tendency, like, look, when you working any big complex investigation, you, you know who the critical players are. You certainly want to get to the top. And, you know, we've seen Jack Smith do that with Trump. You've seen people in DC outside of Jack Smith working up from the bottom, but there's always a danger that the people in the middle can, you know, for lack of a better sort of idea, fall on the cutting room floor. People that are like, you know, yeah, they might be involved in some way, shape or form, but they're not Trump. They're not co-conspirator one through six. They're not, you know, the people who stormed the Capitol. And my worry is, you know, we've seen Enrique Tarrio, we've seen Stuart Rhodes be charged and convicted. 
And now we've seen Trump and we've seen co-conspirator one through six. But what about there's a layer in there of people, of lieutenants, of people that is that aren't <laughs> referenced yet. And maybe Jack Smith is getting there, but these lieutenants that that are that sort of there, there is a connective layer in there that haven't been referenced anywhere yet. And it's yet. it's between it's between the Stuart Rhodes and Ali Alexanders and Enrique Tarrio. It's between them and then the White House and all the the Mark yep. Meadows and Sidney Powell and Eastman and Rudy and every there's there's a there's one layer in there's there. There's the Bannon, Flynn, Stone the, area. The, war, the Willard War Room, right? All that, wh mm -hmm. where... The one that, that Mike Sherwin refused to allow the Department of Justice under Merrick Garland to subpoena. I'm not <sighs> subpoenaing the friggin' Willard. Well, you're an asshole. I'm glad that guy's gone. <laughs> that guy was terrible. <laughs> uh, and he was the one who was uh, agreeing on going easy, uh, Bill Barr going easy on Flynn and Stone and, and all that, so... That's that's the guy who was making it very difficult to get this fraudulent electors coup uh, investigation up and running because he he was the guy who refused to listen to J.P. Cooney, who is now on Jack Smith's team. J.P. Cooney said, we need to look at the fraudulent electors. Uh, and he was like, nah. Um, and he goes, all right, well, when you meet with Garland, can you at least tell him? And he's like, OK. And then when he met with Garland, he didn't tell him anything and he wouldn't let J.P. Cooney go to the meeting. So he didn't even know. And then, you know, eventually, finally, we get the D.C. U.S. attorney appointed down there, uh, up there in D.C. in November of 2021. And that's when he gets there. And that's when Olson gets to Maine Justice. And that's the team that's going to investigate the coup. And immediately, they appoint Wyndham, who is now the lead prosecutor in this particular mm -hmm. four-count indictment. And Wyndham starts trying to subpoena people. And, and uh, D'Antuono is like, no, we don't, we're not going to help you. We don't, we don't want to do subpoenas and search warrants for these fraudulent elector stuff. So, so he has to, Wyndham has to fucking go to the goddamn postal inspector and the inspector general. That's why we were like, why the hell is the inspector general seizing Scott Perry's phone and Eastman's phone and Clark's phone? Why isn't the FBI? Because the FBI said they wouldn't do it. And, and Dan Tuono was with, uh, was on Mike Sherwin's side. Anyway, I'm, it's just, it's very frustrating. Merrick Garland gets 100% of the blame. He deserves some of it, but he certainly doesn't deserve all of it. Rant over. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's a reasonable rant, right? And I hope at some point we get to see, you know, if, if, the, if the DOJ's inspector general devotes a tenth of the time and attention they spent on, on mid-year exam on the of reviewing what the Bureau did with Hillary Clinton's uh, private email servers, to get to some idea of what the causes were, who said what. Because, I mean, again, we're, we're hearing, you know, we're not hearing directly from any of these folks. It may be that D'Antuono or Sherwin had legitimate reasons to not want to do it, whether they wanted to protect their people. You know, there's some indication like Carol Linnig provided some at the Washington Post, some reporting that, you know, people at the field level at the FBI were worried that if they did something against Trump, that DOJ would leave the FBI holding the bag, much like they did with Crossfire Hurricane in mid-year. I mean, there are reasonable... There are reasonable objections to make, but of course, we don't know this. The person who can tell you that is DOJ's inspector general. A lot of these folks have left the government, which means the IG doesn't have the ability to compel them to speak. So, uh, you know, it, it is frustrating to me as well. Uh, it is a reasonable question and a, a series of concerns to make, in my opinion. I agree with you. So, you know, hopefully at some point we do know exactly what the back and forth was. Because my theory at the end of the day, most of this came about by a combination of Trump's constant attacks on the FBI and the people in it and getting them fired, combined with people who might be, you know, inclined to support Trump or, you know, perhaps look at white men offenders differently than they would look at, you know, people with brown skin or black skin. But again, that's that's those are those are hard organizational topics 
for organizations to do like objective sort of analysis about and soul searching and and we'll see what comes but yeah we will and uh, we'll swear a lot about it on this weekend's bonus episode for patrons. Again, thanks to our new 41 patrons this week. Again, sign up for to become a patron. You can use whatever name you want, and we will read it. Uh, <laughs> you can do that at patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Uh, it's been great. Great show this week. Um, Pete, I'm glad to see the handcuffs are back on the classified documents cover sheets. Yes, they are. I'll have to get some, like, maybe get some wet with Georgia. <laughs> Georgia peaches? What do we What do we have? Doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, and isn't that also like Trump? Don't don't people on like Truth Social and stuff like Trump supporters? But I don't know why. Put orange. I guess it's because it's orange. Put little peaches in their names. This is this is a wonderful confluence coming. Yeah, Some Georgia what a peaches. How, you know, Donald. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. But also, I noticed your book in the background. Everybody should get it if you haven't gotten it. It's called Compromised. Uh, it's a really, really awesome book. I especially, especially love. I mean, the whole thing is good, but I especially love the ghost stories. It's if you've ever seen the Americans, it's like the coolest thing to like read it from firsthand uh, point of view. So thank you again for writing it. Thank you for doing this show with me. We'll be back next week for Clean Up on Aisle 45. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. And our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in an Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch you will be vaporized. 
Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.